The following is a production of SAK Digital Ventures. Welcome to Cigars and Sports Chicago, a place where you can sit back, relax, smoke a cigar, and talk about Chicago sports. Now, here's your host, Steve Cass. Welcome to Cigars and Sports Chicago, episode 38, the seditious conspiracy episode. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. It's the Are the White Sox Returning to the Mean in a Positive Way episode. You are at the best place for cigars and Chicago sports. Let me set the scene. We are at The Place. The Place is a cigar lounge. It's at 5236 Main Street in Downers Grove, Illinois. It's a great place to hang out, smoke a cigar, watch a game, relax, argue about various topics, including sports, politics, whatever you may have. And you can follow us on Twitter at Cigars and Sports. And you can get this show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcast, where's this thing again? It's at the place, 5236 Main Street in Downers Grove. That was a test. All right. As always, I want to introduce my co-host, Phil Sullivan. Phil, how are you? What are you smoking? What's going on in life? How are things? Oh, yo. Um, yeah, life's great. Holiday weekend uh, starting uh, for me this evening. So looking forward to uh, getting a little out of Dodge here. Supposed to be some beautiful weather for a nice, uh, nice holiday weekend at the lake. You know, I'm smoking, enjoying one of my uh, standbys, Arturo Fuente signature. Which, by the way, a little heads up for any uh, Arturo Fuente fans out there. Uh, apparently, uh, the factory had a little bit of a thing that doesn't go along good with uh, cigar factories, and that's called a fire. And uh, they burned up, I don't know, somewhere like a thousand tons of tobacco, or some ridiculous amount of tobacco burned up. So. Unless you happen to be standing next to the factory, enjoying some of the smoke off of that, you might not be smelling any uh, Arturo Fuente cigar smoke for a while. So maybe if you like them, go out and find them and buy them up because you might not see them on the Well, I am actually smoking a um, Arturo Fuente short story right now, and it seems that we're going to have to raise the prices at the place. So come in, and we're going to have a pre-fire sale at 5236 Main Street, Downers Grove, Illinois, the place. Phil... We have a variety of topics to talk about. I think, of course, we have to talk about the White Sox, and we'll lead it off with that. Um, And then, amazingly, we're going to talk a little bit of hockey. We're going to bring in our special guest and hockey correspondent, Carson Cass. We'll bring him in 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 a little while. And, you know, we've got some other stuff to talk about. Maybe we can talk about the new kickoff rule in the NFL. Maybe you'll have some unusual sports stuff. But you know what? Let's talk about the White Sox. And setting the scene... Allow me to set the scene. You know, it was interesting. I was making some notes for the podcast here, as I usually do. And one of the things that I always do is go back and look at my previous notes from the last episode. And the last episode dropped on May 2nd. I think we recorded actually on the evening of May 1st. And it was interesting because that was the day when the White Sox were coming off the 10-game losing streak. It was, You know, there was that Saturday night that... Actually, Carson Cass and I were at that game where 
Lance Lynn brought a no-hitter into the seventh. Then they gave up 10 runs in the seventh and lost 12 to 3. It was a complete nightmare. Everyone is chanting, sell the team. Luis Robert, if you remember, got pulled from the game um, for not hustling. It was just literally a complete disaster. And you may remember the night after that, they won that incredible walk-off game, twelve to nine, um, where they were down by five innings in the you know in the uh, the ninth inning, and they came back and won. But since then, they've been better. They haven't been great. So at that time that I just mentioned, they were seven and twenty-one, fourteen games under. They are now twenty-one and thirty. So since then, they've been 14 and 9. Over the last 10, they've been 7 and 3. They've won a couple of games in a row. They have been playing, you know, some not great teams, certainly in the division, the horrifying AL Central. They've played uh, Kansas City, and then they just uh, won two out of three Cleveland. Tonight, they're playing Detroit. You know, we mentioned that Luis Robert thing. So since that night, in the month of May, Luis Robert is hitting. 415 first in major league baseball he's got five home runs tied for first he's got 13 rbis tied for first he's got 13 runs tied for first he's slugging 878 which is first and a 1.388 ops which is first so obviously the benching appears to have done him some good uh jake berger has hit a bunch of home runs since then although he did have the golden uh, or maybe the Platinum Sombrero, 0 for 5 with 5 strikeouts in Cleveland last night. So that wasn't great. Today, hopefully today will be a little bit better. But as you look at the difference in the numbers since then, you know, when you look at the offense, really the two guys that I mentioned have really been the only difference. Robert's been great, and certainly Berger has had some really good games. But for the most part, they haven't really offensively been that much better TA is still not hitting. Really, no one is doing much. Aloy has has been out. Uh, Andrew Vaughn is not hitting at all. Grandal's been okay. But what has happened is, is that during May, in April, the team ERA was 6.08. In May, it's been 3.33. So it's been cut in half. Kopech has been amazing. Lynn has been better. Giolito, who's pitching tonight, um, has been a lot better. The bullpen has been absolutely phenomenal. Um, had a 19-inning scoreless streak. Joe Kelly has been just absolutely ridiculous. So clearly the pitching has been a hell of a lot better and has been the difference. What are your thoughts? What are your thoughts on what the White Sox are doing? Where do you think they're going? Do you think that they can continue this clip? Obviously, the schedule has been fairly soft. But, Phil, what are your thoughts right now and where the White Sox are? You know, the stats are what they are. I, personally, I, as I've always said, in baseball, in my opinion, it comes if you want to win and you want to win consistently or if you want to win playoff baseball, it's all about pitching, in my opinion. Uh, I agree. I think the Sox have had a couple hot hitters, but I think all in all they're hitting an offense is anemic if not average, but it's the pitching. I mean, you know, a couple things also. I mean, you, you talked about the ERA, what it's got dropped down to. In the last 15 games, the bullpen ERA is 1.9. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, that's just unreal. In the last 13 games, the Sox starters are 2.3 ERA. So, you know, that's phenomenal turnaround for certainly what the month of uh, April was like. Can they get this uh, uh, division? There's no doubt this division is gettable, no matter how bad the Sox played in April, even though we certainly had them written off or 
very close to it. So, you know, we'll see what they can do. If their hitting starts to come around, I mean, Berger uh, certainly had a phenomenal, about a three-week run there. You know, his last few games, he's back to, uh, you know, not doing too well. I, I, I saw a quote today, you know, and I wanted to say to him, you know, I really don't give a shit about your baby. I didn't want it to make it sound bad. But he said, you know, when you get in a bad hitting streak, all, everything comes into perspective when you see your baby smiling at you. And that's what it's really all about. Now, what it's all about is you got to hit baseballs consistently. And that's what it's all about. We all got kids, you know, but when you're at the job and you're doing your thing, concentrate on that. That's what you're getting paid for. And then you can go home and play with your kids. So uh, I don't want to hear about your baby bringing perspective into your professional life. Just go play baseball. Hopefully none of Phil's children or grandchildren are listening to this episode. (laughs) Well, well, here's the deal. uh, But here's the deal. But there it is. But I mean, when it comes down back to back to the pitching, I, it's it's the pitching that is really coming around. If these guys don't get injured, if you can keep a Joe Kelly from getting injured, because he certainly is fun to watch right now. Let me tell you, you know, seeing him come into a game, and you know, I think they had a game. Steve, correct me uh, if I'm off on this. They had a game last week where they started relievers, you know, and they came in and you know they they had uh, I forget who pitched Whole the first inning, and then they had a Triple A guy pitch the next five or Jimmy six Lambert. innings. Uh, you know, yeah, and, uh, you know, that was kind of a great way to give these guys a break, and maybe that helped. Now, you're not going to get away with that with a victory very often, but, uh, you know, maybe that little break well, helped those guys. They, obviously, they had to do that because they have no they have no rotation depth, and Clevenger is on the 15-day IL, so we'll see when he comes back. But, yeah, the bullpen start did work. I mean, it's something that Tampa Bay does at least twice a week, um, again, just because it's the most effective way for them to win games. There's a variety of other teams that do that, but it did it did work out pretty well. They used Lambert, then they used uh, Jesse Schultens, who was making his uh, major league debut at age 29. But you know, I actually looked pretty good. I mean, the issue that night was hitting. But you know, I wonder to what extent that this is about the schedule. You know, I mean, obviously they couldn't beat anybody when they were when they were in that tailspin but you know they just played Kansas City and Cleveland Cleveland is a horrendous team whether you want to believe it or not or certainly they they are right now they're now playing Detroit who is offensively the second worst team in Major League Baseball but after that then they got three against the Angels at home then there's uh, another series against Detroit at home then they go on the road as June begins to sort of wind wind on they got the Yankees on the road, Miami at home, then uh, the Dodgers on the road, Seattle on the road, then they got Texas, Boston, uh, the Angels for four more on the road. So the schedule is going to get much more difficult. So the world uh, cannot rely on the AL Central anymore. And back in the day when you had 19 games against all of those teams with the more balanced schedule, we no longer have that benefit. So we'll see what happens. But obviously I do agree with you that this division is absolute, complete, and total trash. Um, it, it's possible that somebody could win this division being under 500. Here's an interesting thing. If you take the average of all of the win totals of the American League East, the average trajectory is 99 wins. So on average, every team in that division cumulatively is on track 
for 99 wins and cumulatively everyone in the AL Central is on track to finish under 500. It doesn't mean that one team um, will not finish over 500, but I'm just saying the average is that. So um, yeah, they're going to have to they're going to have to keep this thing going, and I'd like to see this offense perform a little bit better. So far, one and a third against Detroit tonight. It's not performing very well. I don't think that uh, T.A. has hit the ball out of the infield in about six months. Uh, you know, as I also pointed out the other day, T.A. is working on, um, he has hit one home run since May 22nd, 2022, so he is not driving the ball at all. So... I don't know. Any other thoughts about the Whites? Yeah, I mean, you're right. I, I, you know, I'm just back to the injury thing, as I've mentioned in the past. I hope, I hope they could uh, avoid some of that. What apparently to me is these crazy, crazy off the wall injuries that these guys get, and uh, let's hope they can avoid them. I also know that you were nice enough to purchase a gambling ticket for me when you visited Vegas a couple months ago, and I. Uh, Took the White Sox for a uh, over and under on the amount of wins, and I figured it out. They have to go 62 and 49, or basically 13 games over 500 the rest of the season for me to cash that one in. And uh, we'll see if they can do that. They're still, you know, nine or nine games under 500, so that's a big stretch. But we'll see. I mean, I had that ticket almost ripped in half, but now I'll just take a look at it every now and then. And see yeah, I think that's pretty uh, pretty unlikely. So, what else you got for baseball, Phil? You know, that's about it. Uh, you know, uh, the Cubs, I can, uh, we can talk about the Cubs, except I don't want to. So, uh, and they're starting to suck like they always do. Uh, they've had a good series against the Mets, the so they've, they've, uh, they've improved. Yeah. I mean, they've, they've got some interesting pieces over there, but you know, we don't talk about the Cubs, so we're, yeah. we're not going to, we're not going to worry about that. You know, I did see a little shot that there might be a baseball team moving to Las Vegas. So that'd be interesting as they get more and more professional sports out there in Vegas. Uh, maybe a reason for a White Sox road trip down the road. I will tell you, as far as um, that Vegas site where the A's right now appear to be, they they have a deal to move there. I mean, we'll see what happens. It's not done till it's done. But the last time I was in Las Vegas, I actually saw that site, and it's right off the Strip. It would be an absolutely unbelievable spot um, for a ballpark. It's about a block away from the wind over there. And, I mean, it's in a great place where you could just walk from the Strip and, you know, go over there. I'm not sure how the traffic uh, ingress and egress would be, but it'd be a really cool place from a, from a tourist standpoint um, to watch a ball game. So, uh, you know, looking forward to that at some point in the next however it may be. You know what, Phil? Let's do something that we never do. Let's talk about hockey. And I want to bring in our special guest and our hockey correspondent, Carson Cass. He is our hockey expert. And Phil, I'm going to turn it over to you to uh, have a little conversation with uh, Carson about the NHL. So over to you, Phil. Cool. All right, Carson. Thanks for joining. No problem. Uh, you know, it got interesting for hockey out of nowhere in Chicago here because obviously the Blackhawks have, have been uh, the, probably the worst team in hockey for the last few years. The franchise has taken a hit over the last few years because of some front office doings, uh, things that they didn't do. Obviously a horrible, horrible sexual scandal uh, that caused a lot of uh, ripple effect through the NHL. Uh, so the Hawks got to get back on their feet and uh, 
boy, you can't come up with a better way to get back on your feet and cause some excitement in any season, any city, than to uh, end up getting the number one pick in the draft. And it happens to coincide with a uh, young player that they say is probably the best prospect in 50 years, uh, even past a guy like Wayne Gretzky, which is uh, almost impossible shoes to fill. But uh, Carson, let me know what you think. Tell me what you think of the Hawks getting the number one pick. Uh, maybe tell our fans a little bit about this young man and what he might possibly do for the Blackhawks and bring to Chicago. I mean, yeah, obviously you look at Connor Bedard. I think everybody related to hockey or watching hockey knows who Connor Bedard is. I mean, this is this guy that's come into the WHL and was pretty well known. I mean, at the age of 16, he was starting to get really close. At the age of 16, he went to the World Junior Classic uh, became the greatest Canadian ever in the in a single year at the World Junior Classic. Is now the number one scorer in uh, junior Canadian hockey history ever. Uh, he's the same age as me right now, and he's scheduled to get a uh, probably the maximum contract where he can get about a million dollars in the NHL. And I mean that the guy is crazy. I mean, you want to look at just a bunch of stats that this guy has got. I mean, he's he played on the same WHL team that Wayne Gretzky played on played on that team he's got hundreds of records now that surpassed Wayne Gretzky more goals per game and even if you look at it the season the WHL is a 68 game season Connor Bedard failed to score a single point in 60 and are in only four of them which means for 64 games he was a point per game score yeah I mean that's his numbers are just like you said they're off the charts uh, at every age group he played in. I mean this guy when he was 13 years old was playing with 16 and 17 year olds and it's he's he is a special gift to hockey, let alone what Chicago is going to see. You know, and one thing about hockey, uh, one player can turn a team around. You know, as compared to other sports, that one player uh, will get free agents to want to come to Chicago. I mean, Chicago is still a premium hockey town, premium hockey fans. Uh, there's not too many players in the NHL that uh, wouldn't want to play hockey in this city when that when this team uh, is on top of its game. As you saw with this dynasty we had when uh, they drafted Patrick Kane, their last number one draft pick, and then, of course, Jonathan Taze came, and then, of course, the, the cast that they put around them because these players, these free agents, are going to want to play here. They're going to tell their agents, some of them are going to say, get me to Chicago because the excitement in that stadium uh, in that arena, when the Hawks are on the top of their game, is like nothing else in professional sports, and I really mean that. Uh, that place can really rock, and uh, the fans know it, but the players also know it. So I think it's really cool for Chicago if they can cash in on this. Yeah, I mean, it'd be it's a, it's a no-brainer if they don't select uh, Connor Bedard. It will be probably the worst thing to happen in Chicago sports history ever, but uh, it's pretty set in stone there. And they've got a lot of cap room this summer, too, and I wouldn't be surprised if they get a few more guys this summer that are pretty good, but unfortunately they have a lot more issues to address. Connor Bedard cannot stop any pucks in net, and they don't have a consistent goaltender that's going to be there next year or have a guy that's going to be in the net at least even a third of the season. They've been jumping around with guys from the AHL in the minor leagues just trying to sign a few. But the Blackhawks are actually a perfect segue into the playoffs. In April of this year, the Blackhawks eliminated the P Pittsburgh Penguins in the last game of the season to allow the Florida Panthers to get into the playoffs. And obviously, the Florida Panthers are now primed to make uh, their, first, their second uh, ever cup appearance, I believe. 
And uh, I'd like to hear what you <laughs> think about the Florida Panthers run. Well, so far. They, they they certainly have uh, you know by, by beating Boston. They I mean they've beaten all the top seeded teams in these three series. Uh, they're really playing over the tips of their skis. Last night's game was was incredible. Uh, they were up in the game, and Carolina came back the last. If you watch the last eight minutes, they just played. It was unbelievable hockey. They tied the thing up with. Three minutes left. I mean, they're down three to nothing in the series, but it certainly was a lot of excitement. And then Florida puts the puck in the net with four seconds left. You talk about uh, deflating the team, you know, knowing your season ended just like that when they had a little bit of hope there, at least in that one game. But Florida is, uh, they're a hot team. Of course, uh, tonight you got another team that's up three nothing. You know, you got the Golden Knights going against the Dallas Stars tonight. You know, if you're looking at a possible Golden Knights, Florida, I think. If I'm not mistaken, it'll be the first NHL final ever with two warm weather cities playing each other. Uh, it'd be interesting to see how the audience is for that, the TV audience, how that uh, plays out throughout the uh, final series. If it ends up being the Golden Knights in uh, in Florida, it'd just be interesting to see how the uh, TV ratings are with two warm weather cities uh, playing in the NHL finals, which, like I said, I believe that's never happened before. Uh, I believe you're right. That is the first time. Uh, but the big thing about Dallas, I mean, you, I, I can't imagine a world where they come back in the series. I mean, tonight they're missing missing one of their top goal scorers, Jamie Benn, their top player of all time almost. I mean, if you look at Dylan Robertson, he is an absolutely wonderful player, played the greatest regular season in Dallas Stars history this year, and has not scored a goal since game one of these playoffs or even scored a point in these game one since these playoffs. He struggled to produce against Seattle, and in the first round he also struggled really hard versus Minnesota. Got a few goals across, but it just wasn't great. I mean, the Stars shouldn't have gotten this far. It kind of feels like with the way they've been playing, Ottinger and Nett has been one of the worst goalies ever. He got pulled three individual times uh, in the first two series, which is not a good mark on a young goaltender who's supposed to be supposed to be carrying the team like they did last year. I mean, Ottinger played wonderful last year, and those few games where he's lost it has been extremely bad for the Stars. And I mean, he's not been able to stop almost anything for Vegas so far. It just looks like it's going to be Vegas-Florida, and Florida's big thing is, I mean, you look at Florida, it is incredible. They came into the playoffs against the number one team in regular season history for the NHL. It's incredible to me how far they've gotten with that because Bobrovsky and Tachuk just get into their primes out of nowhere. Bobrovsky has played out of his mind. It is no doubt to me that he'll win the Con Smith. I mean, that is something that you never see. I mean, before uh, last night's game, he had stopped 100, 110 of the last 111 shots he faced after a one-goal game followed by a shutout in game uh, two and three. Yeah, I mean, it was incredible that they the Boston Bruins you know, go on and have the best regular season record in the history of hockey, which has been around for a long time. And for those fans, when you saw the face on those fans, to lose in the first round against the lowest seed, pretty much if I discussed with Steve, you're not going to see that in the NBA. You're not going to see that in too many other sports. But to see them lose in that first round against Florida, and I thought, hey, Florida just got lucky. And then to see them go on and get themselves all the way to the finals. And then for Las Vegas, you know, I believe... Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Carson, about the fourth year in the NHL, fifth year. It's a phenomenal run they've had, the way they came into the league, with the draft picks they're handed, the way the league rules are. They certainly have capitalized and have made uh, Las Vegas a pretty exciting hockey town in a quick amount of time. And I, I wasn't sure that was going to happen. I, I, I didn't know if the people would come out for hockey in Las Vegas, but 
they do uh, pack that joint, and they do love their hockey there, and and the team has uh, certainly come to play the last few years. It's it's something to see. Yeah, Vegas always gets a lot of that uh, attention. I mean, I believe they were top 10, or just rounded out the top 10 this year in attendance. Uh, they sell a lot of seats, and they're... I believe it is correct that is this is their fourth year, I think. But I'm always for this uh, going. This playoff series is going to be at least one team winning their first ever cup. Hopefully, if somehow Dallas comes back, that wouldn't be the case. But I love to see when two teams don't have cups and how hungry they get for that. Also, one other interesting clip before uh, the end here. Uh, Carolina is 0-12 in their past three conference finals, which is a very interesting stat and very painful for uh, Carolina fans. Yeah, it, it certainly is, I'm sure. Yeah, you could see the looks on their faces last night that uh, they didn't want it. But Carson, uh, at, with great uh, hockey perspective, thanks for coming in as a guest here. And I'm sure uh, you're going to look forward to the day we can have the uh, uh, talk about the <laughs> Seattle Kraken going into the NHL Finals, and uh, we'll go. We'll take that on when that happens. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Fear the deep. Yeah, um, Carson is the uh, only. Seattle Kraken fan in the state of Illinois. How he became a Seattle Kraken fan, I don't know. He's the guy who likes to like something that nobody else uh, seems to follow. So, uh, Carson, excellent hockey update, and uh, we'll have you on again in the future. We know you're not a one-trick pony. You can do more than hockey, um, so we'll uh, we'll bring you in again in the future. So thanks for joining. Phil, I, I have an, uh, an NFL issue that I want to talk to you about what do you think about this thing with the kickoffs? The NFL has now changed the kickoff rule, and I'm actually not reading it right now. But if a, if a player fair catches a ball now on a on a kickoff, it comes out to the 25. And the idea is is that if there's a shorter kickoff, if say like a ball is kicked off to the five, they basically just want to eliminate kickoff returns as much as possible. And if say a ball comes down at the five or the seven or, you know, whatever the case may be, it's probably going to be a smarter move to just kneel and get the ball at the 25. So it's going to reduce the amount of kickoff returns by a lot. Now, I think kickoffs have already been muted. Um, obviously, most of them mean nothing, you know, anyway. But what do you think about this rule? Um, actually, a few people in the league, I saw that Andy Reid yesterday was saying that, you know, he feels it's a flag football rule. He, you know, he hates it. There have been some other people that have complained about it. The NFL does have data that shows that the kickoff return is actually the, the play that causes the most injuries, the most head injuries and the most injuries overall, which I found to be very interesting. But what are your thoughts on the, that changing the game in that way? Well, it certainly changes the game, and it takes the excitement level. I mean, it's a game played by, uh, it's a violent game played by violent men, and everybody knows it going into it. They play it from when they're six, seven years old on up. Uh, these players know the game. They know the risks. They get paid well for it, and it will take excitement away from the game. There's no doubt about it. As far as... Um, uh, limiting or reducing concussions, I, you know, I'm not, I don't know if that's going to happen. You're going to see teams try to kick the ball to the 10 or 15, so that guy catching the ball says to himself, I think I can take it to the 30 or 35. So he's going to grab that ball and he's going to go because he's a competitive athlete and he wants to do what's best for his team. And so now the guy grabs it on the 10 or 15 and he takes off with it. And, uh, you know, he's still going to get tackled. He's still going to have these collisions. So I don't know. I see the reason. I see the study. I'm sure they're not wrong with the statistics, but I'm not sure and convinced that it's going to uh, 
cut down on injuries. Uh, maybe it will. I'm sure there's going to be more touchbacks or fair catches, as they call them now, than there were in the past because it had to go in the end zone before. Now it's anywhere within the, uh, within the 25-yard line. A guy can wave a fair catch off, and, and that's where they put the ball at the 25. So we'll see. I, it's definitely going to take away from some excitement in the game. There's no doubt about it. You look at a, our own Devin Hester in Chicago, and look how exciting those few years were with him. And uh, it's just a big part of the game. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how big of a part of the game it is. And, you know, I mean, I, I respect your opinion, and I think that they've already sort of muted the kickoff by obviously moving the spot where the ball is kicked up further anyway. Uh, that said, I think you bring up an excellent point about the fact that, yeah, there's going to be some teams, maybe not that are going to squib kick, but now there's going to be kickers that are going to attempt to drop the ball in there, you know, kind of inside the 10 to give the returner, you know, something to think about whether they want to bring it out. And yeah, those guys who return kicks, they're competitive. They, they think they're really good at what they do. They want to get paid. They want to make a play. Um, and it is going to cause some guys to go out and it's going to make it interesting. So we'll see how it goes out. One thing I found that was very interesting about the rule is generally when they change a rule, they change the rule. In this case, they said it is only effective for 2023. So meaning it has to be voted on again by the top competition committee next year. So obviously they're not completely sure about it. So it will be interesting to see how that, um, that works out. Well, so, yeah, because, you know, in a sense, you don't need kick returners then. I mean, you could put the safety out there. If all the guy's going to do is wave a fair catch and catch the football. So, you know, and then you still got punt returns. What are you doing about those? So that's not, you know, how are you going to change that part of the game when a guy wants to return a punt? So it's, uh, we'll see how it plays out. But like I said, I think it's going to, uh, you know, eliminate a, uh, I'm not saying a vital part of the game, but an exciting part of the game every now and then. So, so, Phil, what else you got before we wrap it up? Uh, Anything? You know, um, uh, yeah, NFL. Uh, Adrian Peterson, a.k.a. the Purple Jesus, has announced he is not retiring. So I just thought I'd let you know and let the fans know that. That's um, it. Yeah, that's kind of amazing. I'm guessing that there are not going to be a lot of takers um, in his last uh, couple of attempts to play in the league uh i saw that uh or, or if you remember his numbers they were not very good i think he had an opportunity with the titans and a couple other places so uh yeah i and now i'm looking at that too yes he's the first guy to make an announcement a non-retiring announcement that he is not retiring so yes very interesting and there you go there's phil sullivan with your uh purple jesus update phil it's <laughs> been right. a great episode cool. appreciate it everybody have a uh, safe holiday here you guys talk about hockey uh happy memorial day and we'll uh we'll talk to you soon cool all right over and out Blossom, come on, under the willow We can have high times if you look back We can discover the wonders of nature Rolling in the rushes down by the riverside